everyone and welcome to the Story Slam podcast. This is your host James Williams, excited to present another recording of our live show. Story Slam is a true storytelling show based in the city of Bristol in the UK. We host monthly events in the beautiful Wardrobe Theatre in Old Market and today we have a recording from our December 2022 show which was our annual end of year special and our theme was Presence. If you are a new listener, we really hope you enjoy. If you're an old listener, it's lovely to have you back. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you enjoy the show, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or even better, recommend it to your friends. I was once again lucky enough to be hosting the show in December, so I will hand over to pass me to explain the show and hear some stories. Enjoy, everyone. Yay! Should we say hello to our international audience in the podcast? Yay. Yay, hey guys. Um, okay, so the rules that you will tell on stage, uh, we have, uh, the stories tell on stage, we have some rules for those. So first of all, they have to be true. Uh, we hear lots of fiction, there's an awful lot of excellent fiction in the world, which we all love consuming, um, but ultimately we want to hear about you guys, we want to hear about your real lives, what you're up to, um, and the things you're going through. Uh, they have to be spoken, uh, read without any notes or any props, because it doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be rehearsed. Uh, it just has to be true and about you. Like, honestly, if you get up onto the stage and tell a story about you that is true um, and sincere, it will be good because people are naturally good storytellers. It has to be five minutes long um, to give everyone a chance to tell their story. And after the five minutes is up, you'll hear a musical accompaniment from our handsome little Kalimba. Mm. Uh, and it'll be, something, it'll be something dainty like this. Oh. I mean, you've had your five minutes, uh, and now you have a one-minute grace period within which to wrap up your story. But if you get to the end of the one-minute grace period, you hear a more frenetic um, stress noise. <laughs> and that means, oh, we've really loved having you on stage. Oh, it's been so good. But now it's time to release, release the floor to someone else. Um, other things. It has to be stories. So sometimes people take the opportunity to get up on stage and tell like stand-up or monologues or rants. Um, but we're interested in stories specifically. So that's things with beginning, middle and ends, not necessarily in that order. Okay? Basically, you have to have, something will have to have changed about you from the beginning of the story to the end of the story. Like going out and getting completely shit-faced and like telling a story about something funny is like good, but it's like an anecdote. Really nothing has shifted in your life dramatically in that time. And so a story is when change occurs. Um, anything else? I always say no notes, and I always forget the rules. Wish I had some notes on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, otherwise, uh, the story can be about anything, basically. Today, presents about anything, really. Um, it doesn't have to be funny, um, because life isn't always funny. We want it to be true, uh, and life can be tragic, and life can be hard. And we want to be able to facilitate hearing those stories in this space. So to aid that, you can put a content warning on the back of your name slip. And this could be for, for things that people might find distressing, things like uh, sexual assault, blood, suicide, that kind of stuff. Something you think someone might want to be warned about, you can put on the back of the slip. Um, don't worry, you won't get in trouble if you, if you don't. Just a courtesy for everyone else in the room if you feel that you have some content in your story that may be distressing. Um, otherwise, is that it? We have our photographer here today, Dee. Round of applause for Dee. Um, Dee will be getting fantastic photographs 
of you and the audience and also the storytellers. If you prefer for you to not do that, you can let me know, you can let Dee know, and if, he's already, if they've already taken pictures of you, then you can always delete them and uh, won't use them. Um, I think that's it. We're going to get on with stories, but first of all, Christmas stuff. You've all got crackers, haven't you? Yeah. yeah. We're going to do a unified pull. <laughs> right, so there should be enough. Yeah, grab them. Everyone share. listeners uh, it's at this point the show it becomes slightly chaotic for a short while whilst everyone chats and puts on their hats uh, and we're gonna jump back into the action now once it's all calmed down <laughs> okay you all look fantastic in your hats hope you all enjoy your jokes and your little toys i think we're gonna oh yeah we're gonna start the storytelling ready to go yeah okay great um, so, our, we're going to do our first storyteller. The way it works is, I'll say the name of the person, wall chair, and then there'll be a pause while we allow people to leave the room if they want to leave the room, or whatever, and then I'll call you up. Okay? So if you hear your name, don't immediately stop walking down, stay in your chair. All right, drum roll, please. Our first storyteller is going to be Scarlett. Scarlett, stay there. You can come down in a moment. Uh, we'll have a quick... Yeah, poise, exactly. Uh, we'll have a little anonymous story before we have Scarlett to the stage. Okay, so write a true short story on the theme of presents. My dad gave my mum a box of toothpicks for Christmas one year. He's never lived it down since. Well, I should fucking hope so! Like, what? What's the man? I know men are useless, but that's like another level, isn't it? It's like he's gone to a pharmacy and been like... <laughs> Toothpicks, that'll do. Did you try to send her a message or something? God, that is one of the shit most beautiful friends I've ever heard in my life. Wow, I've got a better giving presents. All right, then, uh, it's really scary being the first storyteller, so can we have a big round of applause? Welcome to the stage, Scarlett. and there wasn't one that I could see online. So I was like, I'm gonna do this story that's kind of about unexpected gifts. Um, so it turns out it's dead on. <laughs> so um, back in, I always do this with my hand when I'm talking. Back in July, uh, a friend of mine uh, found a hamster in Eastfield Park. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, James, you kind of look like you're dressed as that hamster today. Like the, colors, the colors are dead on. So they found this little peachy hamster um, and that's how I ended up with a hamster. Uh, so now I have a hamster and her name is Spinach. This isn't really about her. Uh, and I kind of, I don't know, and then a while later, another friend found a carpet python <laughs> on some railings in Easton in November. And I thought, maybe the fates are bringing me a python. 
Um, and actually, I did not end up having to adopt the python, which I'm both relieved and sad about because it was very pretty. Um, but I think maybe the python and spinach wouldn't have gone great because <laughs> she would have eaten the snake. Um, and I, I sort of realised uh, when I was thinking about this a couple of days ago that this is actually absolutely a f tradition in my family. So, in 1997, we were moving house. And the older lady who was moving out of the house said, do you want this dog? And we said, not really. <laughs> and they, she said, well, if you don't have her, she'll be shot. So that's how, <laughs> that's how we got Sally. <laughs> um, and then maybe a year or so later, we were in Canterbury, because that's where I'm from. And there was a very beautiful uh, black and grey and spotty and mismatched eyed lurcher tied to a bench outside Smith's. Um, and we came back later and he was still there and then there was a dog warden and blah and things and then that's how we got Spike. <laughs> <laughs> and then a while after that we were walking in the woods with Sally and Spike and another dog and they chased a cat up a tree in the middle of the woods. <laughs> and that's how we got Jed. <laughs> Um, there, are, there are several others. There's, there's some sheep, there's a pony, there's a, it's a whole, but that's... And I, I literally just, literally today, I think, is when I kind of saw this pattern and thought, oh, I, I really have not fallen far from the tree in any way. I'm the least rebellious child ever. Um, so, sometime in the late 90s, we were on holiday in Pembrokeshire. We were walking on Marlow's Beach in the spring, and my dad shows up with a bloody ball of feathers with beak and we took this ugly scrap back to the camper van that we were in and assumed that it would probably be dead in the morning because when you bring back baby birds they very rarely make it through the night um, and this thing was it was either a crow or a raven um, all its feathers were still in pin and it had um, you know if you get hold of a curtain and just pull too hard and it just like comes off the rail, that's what his wing looked like. So there was, there was bone and flesh. Um, and so it, my dad said that he was considering just, you know, putting it out of its misery before introducing it to the children. Um, that we brought it back to the van um, and he woke us up at four o'clock the next morning demanding breakfast. And he lived with us in a van for the next four days. And one of the great things about baby crows, while well, they're still in the nest, is in order to keep the nest clean, they do this when they shit. <laughs> and just projectile crap, like a good couple of feet. So he ended up being in the van on this kind of circle of newspaper, um, getting through large quantities of scrambled egg and mince. Um, and that is also how I why I learned to make pom-poms, because we made him some black pom-poms to share his nest with. Um, we never did find out the crow sex. He did get a default male, and that just happened, and his name was the crow. Um, <laughs> we tried names, none of them fitted. Uh, but yeah, he came home with us, and he became an absolute terror family member. He would steal food from the dogs while they were eating it just to prove that he could. Um, he would ride around on my mum's head. He would do things like, um, you know people think that, that uh, magpies and crows like to steal shiny things. He liked to steal red things, which is I guess why fruit is, a lot of fruit is red. So he would do things like, you know the little like, um, the colour dots in the spine of the newspaper? He'd peck out the red ones. <laughs> 
um, he'd eat all the wax from baby bell cheeses <laughs> and then and then pellet up red wax everywhere um, he'd shit on everything he'd like to hide things on you so he'd you'd feel him land on your shoulder and you'd look round and he'd have like a squashed raspberry that he'd found or some kind of mouldy whatever and he'd just be like I'm just gonna hide this sort that for later <laughs> And um, against all odds, he did learn to fly. So um, for as long as I knew him, he still had like a patch of down where the injury had been, where he should have just had, you know, normal adult feathers. But the first time that he properly spread his wings and flapped them hard, he was stood on the kitchen table, which does not provide a lot of grip. So he just skidded the full length of the table and fell on the ground. <laughs> and then you know, he never made the same mistake twice. So he never did that again. The next time he did it, he got hold of the back of a chair, flat, I was like, okay, let's see what these can do. Um, the first time that he properly flew outside, he got stuck in a tree. Because there were trees on both sides of the lawn, and he hadn't figured out how to fly down. So he flew across the lawn and up, and then across the lawn and up. And that was the first night that he spent sleeping outdoors since we got him. <laughs> and he came in the morning and like landed with a thump and was all cold and wanted to be let in and was all sad. Um, but he was, I don't really know where this is going to be honest, I'm just telling you about Crow, he was really, really cool. Um, and uh, if you imagine uh, a kind of quite mischievous and attention-seeking three-year-old but that is small and can fly. <laughs> that is, that's the level of, of mischief and mayhem that this thing could make. If we had, well, he never had a cage, but we had, we built like a cage in the garden to shut him in occasionally, just to be less trouble. So if we had people around, he wasn't getting attention, he once stole someone's car keys, and flew <laughs> round and round the garden, so that we would all look at him. <laughs> but, um, and he was, he was my mum's baby, and she never really learnt to whistle, but she did this kind of, and this crow would swoop down and land on her head. Um, and against all, yeah, he learned to fly, and then he left. He was with us for, I think, six months, and towards the end, he went on a couple of, he just disappeared for a day and come back, um, and wild crows came into the garden and kind of checked him out, and then um, a few days before that, my, my parents thought, well, he keeps going on these far off trips, so they put a plastic ring on his leg with our phone number. Um, and the morning that we never saw him again, we found it on the table. <laughs> so he managed to get it off and then was like, right, time to re-release myself into the wild. Um, but yeah, he's the, a big part of why I really love all of the crow family and what made me realise that birds are actually very warm and snuggly and just really great. Um, yeah, there's not really an ending to this story. I hope that he did not die. <laughs> Thank you so much. Round of applause Scarlett. I think I think I speak for everyone when I say I think we could all listen to talk about the crow for way longer because it was not just a, well just like magical. I feel like. You were afforded such a privilege, like to get to know like a crow. Isn't that wild? Like, I think as mammals, we have like affinity with mammals. Like we know dogs, we know cats. Like we see mammals all the time. But like the idea of like 
having a friendship or having like a, some kind of relationship with a bird, oh, it blows me away. Like so cool. They're so smart and they're so emotional and so interesting. Um, and what like an amazing family to be like rehabilitating all these animals and then just, like letting this like probably mortally wounded crow like live a life. Well done. That's so nice. That's so lovely. Thank you so much for the story. such a privilege to grow up with animals. I think I was very lucky to like grow up with lots of dogs and yeah I feel like I definitely felt like an affinity. I was like yeah I definitely have parents who just like grabbed any animal they could with, like goats and cats and dogs and chinchillas and digus and all sorts of things and um, I think you can spend a, a, a appreciable amount of time around animals and not realize they have emotions and they have inner lives just like us um, and they deserve our respect and protection. Thank you so much for your story. Okay, um, that was fabulous. Right, a true short story on a theme of presence. One year, my dad, oh no, <laughs> filled up with toothpicks again, <laughs> bought my mum some really nice chocolate, well done, for Christmas, and hid it in the garage. When he went to get it on Christmas morning, he discovered that a mouse had eaten through the packaging and nibbled the end of the chocolate. <laughs> That's it. I don't care. I'm glad that mouse got the chocolates. Because do you know what a mouse felt? The mouse like was like in this cold, dark, weirdly windless cave. <laughs> and then sort of had a little sniffle of something and realised it had found the mother load. <laughs> the biggest bar of chocolate a mouse had ever seen. <laughs> and had it spill. I'm like, please. Um, <laughs> Drum roll, please, for our next storyteller. Our next storyteller is going to be Emma! Woo! Okay, no point wanting to Emma's story. We'll have one, one, like, one um, short story before we welcome Emma to the stage. How to convey pleasure at receiving a painted jam jar when you have given your child 20 pounds to buy you a present. <laughs> Only to discover he spends it all on Cheetos. <laughs> Again, I'm a bit like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, can you blame him? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like in the modern world, like you spend your budget, don't you? Or you never get a budget again. Um, so he, he, learned a, he learned a good fiscal lesson. <laughs> Just half ass it and keep the rest. <laughs> right, we're going to have to our stage uh, a big round of applause on the stage. Emma! Here. Um, really um, so it's uh, the school holidays, Christmas holidays, and my sister and I are about 14 and 16, I think, around about. And um, yeah, we've just broken up from school and we're just kind of having a day of on the sofa with the duvet, just watching crap films and stuff like that all day, really. Um, a couple of weeks before, my parents as a present to themselves and uh, to each other, 
had bought two brand new sofas, cream sofas. Um, which at the time, I was like, what a shit present. Uh, but now, I'm in my 30s, I'm like, ooh, a sofa. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, anyway, so they got these new sofas. And so, yeah, me and my sister had been just for hours, cuddled up on the sofa, watching films. And then my sister and I, we yeah, eventually get up off the sofas, duvets on the floor. And I look at my sister, and she has just, like, the colour has just drained from her face. And I look at what she's looking at, and on the cushion of the sofa is just this huge brown stain. <laughs> and I, I'm repulsed. I'm like, <laughs> you know, she, as I said, she's 16, and unless you have like a serious medical condition, which she didn't, I think 16 is too old to be <laughs> defecating on the sofa, <laughs> like at any time of the year, but like especially Christmas, <laughs> not festive behaviour. No. Um, but on closer inspection, it turns out it's chocolate. And to this day, I don't know how she managed this, but for like four hours, she had been sat on an entire, minus a few segments, unwrapped chocolate orange. <laughs> so this whole chocolate orange is now just all over the sofa. And like, we were just absolutely panicking because obviously these sofas are brand new. We know that our parents are going to absolutely kill us. Um, and also at this point, like obviously that's a lot of chocolate, so there's no wiping this off. That like, it would just smudge it, smear it further. So we're really panicking, so we decide that we're going to turn the cushion over so the chocolate's on the underside. And we're like, okay, what are we going to do? So at the time, my uncle was living with us. So we're like, right, he is a good neutral person, so we're going to ask him his advice on what to do about this like, nightmare of a situation. So he comes home from work, and um, yeah, I think we were kind of expecting like, some solid kind of dry cleaning advice or <laughs> him to like, reassure us and say, you know, it's fine, your parents won't be that angry, just be honest, you know, it's Christmas, you need to be honest. But he looks at the stain... And straight away, is like, do not tell your parents. <laughs> do not, you can't tell your parents. He's like, you're just going to have to do what you've done. That's something to do. Just hide it. Just, <laughs> just ignore the situation. So that's what we do. So we just turn the cushion over and we're like, okay, great. We just forget about this whole thing. A couple of days later, it's Christmas. And um, my extended family are all around. We've had Christmas dinner. We've played board games. And now it's kind of time to watch James Bond or Harry Potter or whatever. And so... Uh, but we can't find the remote. We can't find the TV remote anywhere. And so we're looking, we're looking, and then my dad is getting, like, really annoyed, so he's suddenly like, right, everyone get up. Everyone get up off the sofas. We're going to get all the cushions off the sofas. Because this, he's like, it's always down the side. It's always down the side of the sofas. Obviously, me and my sister look at each other, and we're just like, oh, my God, no. Absolutely not. So we're like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Just sit down. No, Nana, you're 80 years old. Don't get up. Don't get up. Like just trying to find this remote and absolutely panicking. And then just as my dad was getting more and more angry and decide, like saying, like, no, that's it, finally the remote is found. <laughs> um, so thankfully the, the, the horrible stain was not discovered on Christmas Day and it didn't ruin Christmas Day. Um, and so, yeah, um, that was kind of not the Christmas miracle, but a Christmas miracle <laughs> <laughs> that they took a... Um, and it was a good couple of months before the stain was found, during which time me and my sister did try to further rectify the situation by, obviously the chocolate had then dried, so we thought we would scrape it off <laughs> with a knife, 
wouldn't advise that either. Not a good housekeeping tip because it just um, tore a hole <laughs> in the fabric. Um, and our parents did go mad, rightly so, to be fair. Um, but the main thing is, you know, we didn't ruin Christmas. <laughs> Pretty sure my sister's never sat on a chocolate orange since. <laughs> somehow managed to sit on a, I just knew you were going to say chocolate orange. And I was like, what? It's like the opposite of the princess and the pea. It's like somehow managed to ignore sitting on what is really a large tennis ball of chocolate. But I, I presume, I guess it went down the longer she was on it. But that initial sitting, anyway. And uh, great advice there from your uncle. <laughs> hide it. <laughs> well, to be fair, I guess it did work. You did hide it and you managed to not ruin Christmas. Um, I thought he was going to come in and be like, right, we can take the cover off, we can take it to the dry cleaners. Nope. <laughs> hide it, quick. I do try. I do aspire to be that uncle. I like, I think my sister would love me to be like a moral guardian to my, uh, my nibblings, but no. <laughs> I've been agents of chaos. <laughs> My sister was pleading with my nephew to put some clothes on. I was like, don't do it, Roman! <laughs> clothes are a prison! Rebel! <laughs> I do it with the dogs as well. <laughs> the dogs do whatever they want. Sorry, Mum. My mum is here. Hello, Mum, I love you. <laughs> right, a true short story on the theme of presents. Every Christmas and birthday, I would beg my parents for a cat. We couldn't get one because my sister is allergic to fur. Brackets, rubbish. <laughs> so one year I came up with a perfect solution. A hairless sphinx cat. My parents said no, because they look evil. Brackets, rude. But on Christmas Day, my dad said he had got me a hairless cat. I was so excited. Oh no. I opened a box only to find a cat made of stone. <laughs> My dad thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I thought it was a dick move. <laughs> what is this thing with dads and presents today? What is going on? Um, that is a dick move. <laughs> it feels like something out of a Greek myth or something. You know, like the young lady who, who begged and begged something and got like a weird like mix or something she didn't expect. It feels like it feels like a, a curse. Like, like when you when you make a wish with a genie, but it's like actually a curse. <laughs> That's what you've got. Last year in my sports club, Secret Santa, I was gifted a book of semen recipes. This year, I literally know that book. What book is? It's called Nature's Harvest. <laughs> uh, actually, no, Nature's Harvest is the sequel. It's called. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I used to work in a bookshop, and it was like this mythical book. And the first one is called Semenology, and it's all about how do you use semen in cocktails. And the second one, yeah, uh, like around the rim and everything. Um, and the second book, the sequel, is called Nature's Harvest, which is all about using it in recipes and stuff. So it's going to be that one. So you're gifted a book of steam recipes. Yeah. This year we didn't have a secret Santa, so we did not have the opportunity to pass it on to another member of the club. <laughs> so if anyone would like it, please let me know. <laughs> I want it! 
semen book. Um, <laughs> Get away! Gold, that thing. All right, sorry. Um, I think it's time for our interval, and normally it's where I would tell you guys to go out into the bar and buy drinks and spend money, but no. This time, we have our own booze. We've got, um, we've got like beers, we've got alcohol-free beers, we've got a box of wine, we've got some Prosecco, we've got uh, vegan um, mince pies, we've got uh, regular mince pies, we've got a pomelo. <laughs> I have recently started to love pomelos, so you must have had this while I'm taking it home with me. Um, uh, also, um, we, uh, me and the rest of the team have made you all um, custom-made Story Slam baubles, so feel free to come and get one of your own. If they run out, grab the tree. Um, we have some music, um, there's plates, there's cups, um, come down and enjoy yourself, and uh, if you want to tell a story, put your name into this hat, if you want to tell an anonymous story, put your name in this hat, and uh, I don't know, 20 minutes, have fun, enjoy yourself. Woo! Hello there, in studio James, just popping in for the interval. I hope you were able to find some time in your day to have a little party of your own. And Merry Christmas to those who celebrate, and a very happy new year to you all. We really love our end of year shows, they are always great fun. In the background you're currently hearing people partying, chatting and dancing, as well as Becky and I setting off these huge confetti cannons, which, which looks great. <laughs> if you want to see pictures of the colourful chaos, as well as our end of year group photo, you can do that by going to our website at storyslam.co.uk or visiting our Instagram, which is at storyslambristol. Uh, while we're waiting for everyone to grab a drink and put more names in the hat, we want to quickly thank our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash storyslam. We really appreciate the support. Um, we also want to give a special thanks to all our storytellers we've had this year, both on and off the podcast. The show literally wouldn't happen without you, and we feel very lucky to get to hear about your lives every month. If you would like to become one of our storytellers, you can do that by coming along to one of our live shows or submitting your own anonymous story to us for possible inclusion on a future episode. You can do that by submitting your story on our website at storyslam.co.uk forward slash submit. Uh, but that is it. Uh, it looks like the party has died down and we've managed to wrangle everyone back into their seats. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed your short party wherever you are. I'm now going to hand back to past me, introduce the second half and hear lots more stories. Enjoy everyone. <laughs> Openers, but somehow you guys have managed. <laughs> somehow, human ingenuity, yeah, none in there. Human ingenuity has won through, won through <laughs> and you managed to open the beer. Um, uh, at the end, feel free to grab stuff uh, because we all must go. Um, I hope you guys have enjoyed. Um, also, what we've been doing whilst you've been frolicking is putting loads more names in the hat. Woo! And loads more uh, short stories. So let's just let's just dive right in, shall we? I broke up with my boyfriend, and he moved out in winter lockdown. I got so many deliveries for that. So for that, for I got so many deliveries for over that the chicken shop sent me a Christmas card. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love that. Love that. <laughs> One year, it's like um, like with a barista at the coffee shop remembers your name, but like with chicken. <laughs> 
One year, my dad bought my mum... Oh, no. <laughs> one metre square of land on the moon. <laughs> and she started crying about colonialisation. <laughs> oh, God! Don't worry, it's a scam. Don't worry, it's a scam. No, actually, you don't, you don't even own it. It's just a scam. So that's better? That is better. In the spirit of shit dad presents. <laughs> How many of these? How many of these are shit dad presents? We'll do one more then. We'll do this one, then we'll have a, a storyteller. In the spirit of shit dad presents, I want to ask for an iPad for Christmas. This is going to be like a, like a statue of an iPad. Um, but my dad felt that was too extravagant, so he decided to etch a sketch. <laughs> was a good alternative. Dad ruined Christmas. <laughs> he did ruin Christmas, because your Christmas is about presents. <laughs> <laughs> right, we have our first story time of the second half. Drum roll, please. <laughs> first one's going to be Nick. <laughs> Woo! Okay, one minute, Nick, we'll have one more of these. I think this is the most amount of words you could have got on here. <laughs> the best present I ever received was from my great aunt. She somehow acquired a life-size paper mache sheep from the local church nativity after Christmas. That's a good present. <laughs> I loved that sheep. Like, it was my own. And it came everywhere with me. Unfortunately, my two older brothers loved him as well. But for different reasons. He was very fragile and it wasn't long. For different reasons. <laughs> what does that mean? Are we going to find out? It wasn't very long before they snuck him out of my room and used an old golf club to decapitate him while I watched on in agony. The worst thing is to this day they deny this ever even happened. Maybe it's because they feel really guilty. Miss you, Sheepy. Oh, we all miss Sheepy. Poor Sheepy. And the culprits never brought to justice, not even admit it. <laughs> uh, we have a moment of silence for sheep. <laughs> Wait, no, we've got a story, don't um, uh, Round applause, welcome to the stage. Nick! Hello, hi. Um, my story is kind of inspired by Scarlett's story from earlier. Um, when I was a kid, um, I was born with my parents having this dog, Rafty, um, who they told me and my brother that we never would have been born if it wasn't for him because they got him and then they separated for a bit, but neither of them could bear to be without Rafty, so they got back together. <laughs> and fucked and me and my brother were born. Um, and Rafty was a weirdly human dog, but for me as a child, like, he didn't do any of the things that I thought dogs were supposed to do. Like, you'd say, Rafty, sit, and he'd look at you like, Honey. <laughs> and he wouldn't, he wouldn't like lick you to show affection, he'd just like rub his face on you. Um, but we all really loved him and he died at like 18 and we were just like all torn apart. Um, and, but the week that he died, our next door neighbours, uh, Rod and Taj, got a, a puppy. They got a rescue puppy whose name was Dylan. And uh, they, we didn't really know them at that point, but they knew what, that we'd lost our dog. And they said, if, if your boys, Nick and Alex, ever want to come and like play with Dylan, they're welcome to. 
and and this was just amazing like I'd never like got near a puppy before I was just used to like a middle-aged dog <laughs> and so we'd go around and he was just everything he wanted a puppy to be he stank he was all spiky and um and sometimes we'd take him for walks and one day I heard my brother call from the garden he was like Nick come out here now and I went out and Dylan had found a hole in the fence between our gardens and had stuck his head through so we'd just like scratch his head and then like eventually he'd like go off and then every, we'd just like wait in the garden for him to like stick his head through <laughs> and then one day we just saw it like dawn on him that he could get a leg through and then he got another leg and then he came through the hole in the fence and he came into our house and he ran around the furniture he pissed on the curtains <laughs> he had an amazing time and then he fucked off home and then he'd keep doing this he wore a path down our garden like we had this long garden and then these patio doors and he'd, he wore his own little path down and would stand waiting outside the patio doors to be let in and then we got a puppy Lola and she just thought he was amazing they just fell in love she thought it was the most incredible thing ever he taught her all kinds of things about being a dog like rolling in shit like <laughs> where like all kinds of valuable dog lessons and they just had the best time and then Rod and Taj next door they moved away they moved to another town and they took Dylan with them, obviously, he was their dog. Um, and I was, I was so fucking torn up. I remember going into school that day, I was just crying and crying and crying. And they was like, Nick, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I was like, my dog's moved away. And they were like, oh, I'm so sorry that your dog's died. He's like, he's not dead, he's moved away. He's moved to fucking Bath. And Lola would just sit and wait by the door where he would wait to be let in and she'd just sit there and she was pining away and apparently Dylan all the way in fucking Bath was doing the same. <laughs> and, um, and then one day, um, Rod and Tadger asked if we would look after Dylan while they travelled round seeing some friends. I'm like, yeah. Like, and we had him. They, he was supposed to be with us for a week. He was with us until he died at 14. Um, they didn't come back for him, but... But it was, it, I think it was, everyone knew that they weren't going to. Like, they had three little kids. They did not know how much work a dog was going to be. And he was so sad without Lola. And so we got to keep Dylan. And Lola and Dylan had the most amazing, kinky, queer relationship. <laughs> like, Lola would hump the shit out of Dylan. Like, she would hump him so hard. One time she, like, rolled him over on his back and, like, put her paws on his ears and, like, pinned him down. <laughs> And Dylan, like, for all that we loved him, he was, a, he was a fucking sex pest. He would bother other dogs in the park. He would get into fights all the time, and Lola would come through and defend him. No one fucked with Lola. Like, she was, she was such a fucking dom. She could, like, take any dog. And, yeah, they just had this amazing, like, loving relationship where she treated him like shit and wouldn't let him have any food. <laughs> and he was so skinny, and she was huge. She was, she was half whippet, but she was built like a fucking Labrador. She was so big. Um, and, uh, yeah, and we had them both until, like, Dylan uh, died first. And he just, kind of, he just kind of disappeared. Like, he was still there, but, like, there was none of him left. He looked in his eyes and there was no dog there. He was just kind of going through things. And then Lola, I swear, like, Lola was still all there, but she just, she just lost all will to live after Dylan died and um, and then my parents got another little dog and I think that Lola was hanging on 
until then. But when they got this other dog, I think she took that as permission that she could go because we had another dog. And I swear she hung on to t take care of us because she ran that family. <laughs> like, I don't believe in that whole alpha male, alpha female thing, but she was the alpha in our family. <laughs> like, one Christmas, we came home and she had just destroyed the whole sofa. <laughs> My mum just burst into tears. And she did that out of spite. <laughs> like, if she, if she felt you'd slighted her, she would take revenge. You could see vengeance in her eyes. <laughs> she, was, she was the really fir the first really strong woman I ever had in my life. <laughs> and like, I swear, like, I wouldn't be the feminist I am now without Lola's influence. <laughs> and without seeing her, just like, Dylan don't know shit. I'm going to take that boy down. Um, so Dylan was uh, an unexpected present that we had. And I think that's the most romantic story that, I, that I've ever like, witnessed, heard. Romeo and Juliet, fuck off, no. Lola and Dylan, um, just as like, an ending point, my dad was always really embarrassed that when he would take Dylan out, that people would think he was named after Bob Dylan. Because he was like, I'm not that guy. I'm not the guy who named the dog after Bob Dylan. Um, anyway, that is my story. Um, thank you all for listening. <laughs> I, oh, it's this lovely story. I was, I was like listening, happy listening along, and uh, oh, I'm so happy, like, like, oh, great, like Dylan's come to the family, now they're all trio, tr tr and then suddenly, like, left turn into kink stuff. <laughs> and I was like, whoa! I didn't realize, I was imagining, like, like tugging on each other's ears, but like, when he said, like, she's, like, standing in his ears, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Someone's standing on my ears. <laughs> um, sounds like it was a good, kinky relationship. Very pleased for them. Um, and I feel like, it's, like, so often this evening, these stories just felt like I'm, like, at home with, like, a really happy family and everyone's sharing lovely stories from their lives. It's really nice, and I've really enjoyed the pet stories. Um, I'm so happy. It's, like, it's, like, the perfect ending that, um... That Dylan came and lived with you. That's so nice. Yeah. Thanks so much for your story. It was just really nice. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Oh, Dylan Lola. What fucking face. <laughs> One Christmas, I wanted to really surprise my mum and make her smile. So I wrapped about 12 boxes of various sizes and put them one inside another right down to a tiny box, and at the end, all containing nothing but air. <laughs> you just stop this, I wanted to surprise and make her smile. <laughs> uh, uh, the, uh, the slow reveal, an increasingly pained look on her face, will haunt me forever. <laughs> do not do this ever. <laughs> Christmas is not a time for practical jokes. <laughs> exclamation mark, exclamation mark. <laughs> Um, yeah, I thought it was going to be something nice inside. Not just, like, air all the way down, your poor mum. I do get it, though. I get it. Like, when you're a kid, like, you haven't quite worked out comedy yet. Um, and I definitely did, like, stupid, borderline dangerous stuff. So, this would be funny. This is a story about receiving a wanted and unwanted present at the same time. I was sleeping with a very odd guy. Brackets. Regrets. <laughs> And it was so, and it was so cold. He had the duvet air, uh, duvet the top of him, making a little cave. Okay, yeah. I was about to finish brackets. Yay. <laughs> Wait, you're finishing what? 
<laughs> I was sleeping with the guy. Right, yeah. Not just like sleeping. Whilst. <laughs> sorry, you were like banging. Whilst I was. Oh, wait, sorry. Making. He had a duvet, making a little cave. And I was about to finish. And whilst I was, he farted. The duvet air. Him. What's the what's this word? It's not air. Whatever. Meant it wafted straight into my face. Not worth it. A lot of words for a guy fired in my face. <laughs> Drum roll, please. Our next order is going to be Emily. Woo! No one wants Emily's story. Um, I'm going to have one of these. We'll have Emily to the stage. Ten pound secret Santa limits can go one of two ways. I was part of one one year, where one person got £10 worth of Freddo's. Another, that's a good, that's a good use of that £10. Another got one... Got one way straight to Gdansk. <laughs> Madam. Oh, what Madam. is this? Is this not yours? No, it's definitely okay, not. What, is it? what does that say? No, it's not. It's not. Um, I thought that. Um, one way flight. Well done. Well done. Thank you, sir. To good dance. That's sick. That's fucking sick. That's great. Like you can find someone to fly for a tenner. Fuck yeah, that's fucking sick. I love that. Um, great. I've now realised I've been living my life whole, all wrong. Like I should have been like buying ten pounds of Freddos just because I can. Anyway, um, can we have a big round of applause? Please welcome to the stage, Emily. story has also shamelessly been inspired by Scarlett, um, so thank you. Um, I want to tell you about um, a creature that was a really important part of my early childhood, um, who was a duck, um, <laughs> and he really, he still inspires me to this day. Um, I don't get a chance to talk about him enough because I spend most of my life talking about humans. Um, uh, but yeah, um, so to date this, it would have been about the time that the Disney movie 101 Dalmatians came out. So I'm not quite sure when that was, sometime in the 90s. Um, and uh, my parents had a quite a big garden when I was growing up. So it was of Norwich, um, a great place. And uh, nearby there was quite a big pond where a colony of ducks lived. Um, really beautiful mallard ducks and we'd go and feed them bread which I know you're not supposed to do but we did it anyway um, and we'd go visit them loads me and my my little sister we loved it because um, our garden had quite a lot of sort of undergrowth around the edges the ducks used to come and nest nest in our garden so it was always really exciting every spring to see if one of the 
one of the lovely ducks was going to come and nest with us and then we'd kind of go and check on the nest every few days without disturbing them and see what was going on, how many eggs they'd laid. Um, and then it would be like a really exciting day, one day in the spring when the weather was starting to get warmer and suddenly we'd notice the, the chicks were starting to hatch, ducklings, sorry, not chicks. Um, and then we'd wait for them to all wander down the garden together. They'd sometimes get stuck in the end of the slide for some reason. I don't know why we'd have to like rescue them. Um, and then they'd make their way down to the pond. Um, so one year there was this, uh, this beautiful duck who'd built this enormous nest. I've never seen anything like it. And there were so many eggs in there. It was insane. Um, like several layers deep. So I, I don't know what she was doing. But um, so clearly not all of them were gonna, gonna hatch, but quite a lot of them did. And um, eventually we realized that um, she'd, she'd left the nest. Um, we saw the ducklings wandering off. I don't think any of them got stuck in the slide that year. So it was all good. Um, so of course we went excitedly to look um, to see what was left um, in the nest. And most of the eggs ha hadn't hatched, um, but there was this one egg that was moving a little bit and had a crack in it and it was cheeping. And we were like, oh shit, um, what, what happens now? Like they, they've all gone, but this one's still alive and it's like screaming that it wants to be out in the world. Um, what are we gonna do with it? Um, my dad is, he fancies himself as a bit of a scientist. So um, he was like, well, that's, um, why don't we hatch it? Uh, and clearly in his mind, it was a bit of a science experiment to see like, yeah, how does one hatch a, a duckling? And it'll be interesting to see if it survives. Um, so we took it indoors and we like gently hatched it out of its egg and then um, like loosened the, the covering on its feathers and fluffed it up and stuff. And then we were like, oh shit, what do we do with it now? So <laughs> I think what we could think of was to keep it warm and we, we put it in the airing cupboard and kept it warm. We're like fully expecting it, yeah, not to, to survive uh, to the next day, but it did. Um, and it just had this like, zest for life this little duckling and um just was like i want to be here i want to be alive um so i think eventually we, we got some advice from like a local charity or something and we made it a little nest out of my dad's woolly socks and a, and a feather duster and it had like a heat bulb and it lived in the kitchen and um it was wonderful and um, because we'd i think because we'd hatched it it kind of imprinted on us um so me and my sister and my dad it would follow us around you know like how baby ducklings would literally follow their mum's feet. It would do that except with us, so it was kind of dangerous because <laughs> you would like step on it. Um, so uh, yeah, it would do that. So sometimes my dad would like pick him up and put him in his shirt pocket um, and carry him around. And he was so soft and he wasn't as um, clean as the baby bird that you looked after. He would literally shit everywhere like on you, but it was still quite, Kind of, I don't know. It was like quite a intimate experience to be, <laughs> to be shot on by the duck. And then, yeah, as he grew up, he um, spent more time outside. And uh, when his wings started growing properly, we we I think we taught him how to fly. Um, we put him on the garden table, and then we're like you've got to try and come down some, somehow. And eventually he got so pissed off that he tried to jump off. And then by instinct, I think, put his wings out and was like, oh my God. <laughs> and then um, he used to like race us up and down the garden when we were digging for worms for him. And, um, and I think it was like, 
it was such a revelation to me because I think I'd only ever interacted with other mammals before I'd had this pet duck and I kind of learned like how how a bird can give and receive affection so I remember vividly when he was like fully grown holding him in my arms and I was quite small at this point I was in primary school and um, there's this hilarious picture of me with this like massive duck just holding it and he's like got his head on my on my shoulder and um yeah just would let me stroke him and uh it was just a really wonderful experience um but yeah when he was fully grown he lived outside most of the time in a little shallow pool with a little island in the middle so the local cats that was they were yeah completely like they would not go in the water even though it was about an inch deep so he'd sit there and like watch them um and they wouldn't touch him and eventually, like, a cat did get him when he was on an escapade. Um, but a local old lady um, who knew him, um, he was, like, a local celebrity. She, like, beat it off with her walking stick. Um, so he survived, but he had a bit of a crook in his neck. Um, but, yeah, he, I think he must have lived with us for maybe a year. But eventually, um, he, yeah, would go on. He would try and kind of go hang out with the other ducks, but... He wasn't really a duck. They didn't really think he was a duck in a sort of psychological sense, I think. So he never fully integrated, but he tried. Um, and when we used to go away to visit relatives, he would often like fly off to the pond and then we'd go collect him when we got back, once my mum brought back the wrong duck. <laughs> Which is, that's a whole other story. Um, but uh, yeah, when, once he, he didn't come back um, and we found out while we'd been away, um, Someone had just, a gardener had dug up some old incendiary bombs in a garden down the road that had been hidden there in the war and forgotten about. And it sounded really dramatic, so I was very upset that we missed it. Like, the whole street got evacuated, the army came in, and they had to do two controlled explosions of these bombs. And so our theory is that the, they scared him off and he flew too far away and didn't make it back. Um, so, yeah, we, we never saw him again after that. But... Um, yeah, he was just such a lovely part of my early experience and uh, I think just really, yeah, um, showed me that, yeah, birds are, are really interesting creatures and can enrich, enrich one's life in many ways. So, yeah, thank you for inspiring me to tell my bird story. Round for Emily. You never quite know when you um, when you have a theme for an event what kind of stories you're going to hear. <laughs> Just didn't foresee the birds. <laughs> didn't foresee the bird stories today. Um, how gorgeous! Again, I just feel like so lucky to be able to grow up with a duck. That's so cool. Duck. What was his name? I didn't say his name. What was his name? No, lucky. Lucky. Oh. oh, I hope Lucky is out there somewhere living his d d little ducky life. Um, or up in ducky heaven, like eating grapes. Um, uh, I didn't want to say other, it was really, really nice. I, it reminded me, I, I, what, what made me think is like, you clearly got a nice family. You're all very nice today, looking after wild animals and taking in, casing the wrong duck. Um, but no, that was super lovely. I'm glad you had that experience. Oh, round of applause for Emily. We, um, I was in primary school and uh, I found a seagull 
that was like um, was in the playing fields basically, and the seagull wasn't flying away. Went home and I told my mum and dad about this, and they were like, oh, "Okay." So we went to the playing field and went and realised the seagull was injured, and so we went and captured this seagull. And one of my very early memories is me and my dad uh, in the playing field. I was tiny; I was like five, six. I don't know what I was supposed to do, and he he was shouting at me to run to a certain point to head the seagull off. And he was using cricket terms. <laughs> it was like, to silly leg, silly leg, or uh, whatever, off. And I was like, far field. And I was like, I'm fine. <laughs> but we captured this seagull. We named him George Seagull. Um, and George Seagull lived for us for a few weeks, I think. And then we let, released him back to the world. I think I remember that. My mum can tell me that I got all that wrong. But um, yeah, I only vaguely remember that, though. Anyway, hope George are they having a good time. Fucking love seagulls. You know what seagulls are? They're punk. <laughs> seagulls are fucking punk. And squirrels and rats. They live in this fucking awful death machine we've made. And they, they thrive. <laughs> I feed them every chance I get. I feed them. Love them. My dad completed the Iron Man triathlon one year. Nice in the summer, and Christmas that year, we each, all members of the family, including 80-year-old grandma, got Iron Man branded vests <laughs> that said, Iron Man finisher, and my dad's name. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great, love that. <laughs> what a weird gift. What oh, a weird gift. Some of you in here might be dads. Some of you might become dads. Better gifts. As an eight-year-old boy trying to navigate the minefield of 90s masculinity, I once told some distant relatives that I loved Manchester United, <laughs> knowing full well that it wasn't true. For the following decade, <laughs> I received Man U presents each Christmas, the pinnacle being a topless calendar of David Beckham. <laughs> I was 15. Wow, fucking love that. Um, we have got more stories, but I kind of want to fuck with this thing we made. So these, this, these are paper chains have been, all, all anonymous short stories from the past year are in here. Um, so I thought what we might do is do a little dive. Wait, yeah. A little podcast listeners, I'm going to go te tear shit down. <laughs> so we, I thought we'd just like grab one, yeah? And just like... Look into the past of Story Slam's year. I'm right, sorry, don't make this one. Okay. When I was four years old, this is from the, our mischief event. When I was four years old, I had an au pair who I really didn't like. I asked for a cracker and she proceeded to give me five. <laughs> wow, she sounds awful. <laughs> I only wanted one, underlined. In order to show her this wasn't how things were done around here, I threw them onto the floor and ground them into a fine crumb on the carpet. <laughs> Kids are so goddamn weird. It's not exactly what I wanted, so I'm going to ruin this lady's day. Do one more. Sorry, podcast listeners. Once upon a time in San Francisco, I witnessed a St. Patrick's Day is from our, blah, 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 it's from our breakfast event. Was breakfast this year? 
Who's breakfast? Whatever. Once upon a time in San Francisco, I witnessed a St. Patrick's Day parade in which one parade float was operated by the owners of an, Air, of an Airbnb. And they'd got their two kids dressed in these giant mascot costumes. One was a fried egg, and the other was a rasher of bacon. <laughs> their parents were off to one side, encouraging them to dance with more enthusiasm, <laughs> despite the California heat. <laughs> Parents are so goddamn weird. Dance, egg. Dance, bacon. <laughs> the store cat. The store cat story reminded me. Me and my sis, my sister and I love soft toys. One year for Christmas, my dad got my sister a gorgeous kitten soft toy, but decided I was too old. Brackets. I was maybe ill. I got a Hessian sack with ginger paws and tail sticking out. When you pressed the button, it wriggled and screamed. It was horrible. <laughs> that sounds horrifying. That sounds horrible. Um, I'm, I'm too many of these. Right, sorry, we're going to have a, a story tonight. Drum roll, please. I thought it was going to be mugs. Woo! OK, we'll have one more, one more, one more story, then we'll have mugs to the... Oh, one time my partner and I were having drinks abroad with new friends. They asked how we ended up together, and I spent three or four minutes explaining how we met whilst travelling and fell in love. At the end of the story, I said, for the first time ever, oh well, it's a better story than meeting on Tinder. I then asked them how they had met <laughs> And of course, they had all met on Tinder. Instant regrets, especially since I didn't even mean it. No, oh, angel. <laughs> um, right, drum roll. Oh, not drum roll. Uh, welcome to the stage, our next storyteller, Mubs. <laughs> Keep it going. This year, um, my parents were going to India, and uh, that morning, I was talking to my mum, and she was like, what are you doing today? <coughs> I said, oh, I'm working till five, and then I think I'm going to go to a gym class. Um, and she said, okay, our flight's at eight, so we're planning to leave at four. I said, okay, cool, sounds good. Um, and then a few hours later, I was talking to my dad, if you finish packing, all that, and I said, uh, how are you getting to the airport? And he said... Oh, you're dropping us. I said, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, we're leaving at five. I said, Mum said we're leaving at four. And also, <laughs> I'm working. Um, but anyway, I didn't have any meetings, so we left the house at 4.45, which was a compromise for my dad. <laughs> um, my dad is the kind of person who... He, does, he doesn't rush. He, he is always late, and he doesn't believe in rushing. So, for example, if you ask him to drop you off for a train that is at a specific time and you're running late, he won't rush. He, 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 won't, he won't drive a bit quicker. He'll be like, no, we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and it's actually led to us missing a flight before. 
Um, so <laughs> he really does take it to the edge sometimes. But I kind of also respect it because uh, at least if you get there, you get there safely. Um, and you don't forget things. Um, anyway, going back to this day. So we get all the stuff in the car. Both my mum and dad have two large suitcases each and a hand luggage. Uh, so that's six suitcases in the car. We leave, head to Terminal 4 Heathrow, uh, put all the stuff on the car. And I don't know if anybody's been to Heathrow recently, but now you have to pay £5 drop-off charge. Every time you drop somebody off, you have to pay £5. Um, so we call them up, pay the £5, and off they go. Um, and about... Ten minutes later, I get a call from my mum. Mubaraka, we're at the wrong airport. <laughs> she said, we're Terminal 2. I said, no, you're not. She said, yeah, yeah, we are. We could, we could get the train, but um, I don't think we'll make it. Can you, can you come back? I'm really, really sorry. I said, it's fine, but you're running late. I'll, I'll, I'm coming back. So, t turned around, went back, picked them up from Terminal 4. Um, Mum's on the phone to like the airport parking people to see if they can waive our five pounds. <laughs> uh, they said no. <laughs> it's your mistake. You gotta pay. Um, anyway, so we drive to Terminal Two, unpack the car again, all six suitcases, put them on the trolley, and I'm like, okay, you're running late now. Please rush. No, no dawdling. Okay. Um, I drop them off and I go, five minutes later, I get another call. <laughs> Mubarak, we're at the wrong terminal. <laughs> I said, no, mum, that just, it can't be true. Uh, and she was like, no, really, really, we are. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And she was like, it's Mumbai Terminal 2, where Heathrow Terminal 3. I was like, how, how did this happen? How did this happen? <laughs> She was like, please, I just want to go back home. <laughs> I was like, I'm on my way. She was like, I'm so sorry. I was like, don't apologise. You're going to miss your flight. So I go back to Terminal 2, Terminal 2, pick them up. At this point, my dad's like, let, I'll, I'll drive. Don't worry. I was like, okay, I'll let you drive. <laughs> Get to Terminal 3. Six suitcases again, out of the car, onto the trolley. We're 20 pounds down now. <laughs> and uh, I dropped them off, I'm like, seriously, you need to run, okay? It's 6.30, like, you're, you're, you're traveling to India. Hurry up, like, you don't have enough time. Okay, okay, we will, we will. Um, and off they go, and uh, I drove home whilst I was on my way home mum rang she was like okay we've checked in we're gonna be fine I was like no you're not you've still got the whole key for security please keep going and she was like okay okay we'll keep going <laughs> I had to keep encouraging her I uh I got home and I get another call from my mum she goes oh Mubaraka I just I forgot to tell you I left some food in the fridge I think it's on the second shelf and there's also some stuff in the freezer and all this and that and I was like mum what mum doing <laughs> why where are you she was like oh we're just in the queue for security i was like uh it's 7 15 your your gate closes in 15 minutes why you stood in security line you need to skip the queue please go and speak to somebody and tell them that you're running late and you need to go she was like 
yeah, I know, it's just there's a lot of people. I was like, no, seriously, you're going to miss your flight? Okay? Like, please, just, okay, I'll send Dad. I'll ask him to go ask somebody. So, all right, hurry up. I'm off. So, let me know when you get on the flight. She's like, okay, okay. 7, 7.45, still haven't heard anything from them. 7.50, I'm like, I'm getting stressed. And I, like, message them, like, hey, how, how are you guys doing? No answer. Uh, 8.01. I was like, I can't, I can't take this anymore. I rang them, and she was like, oh, we're, we're on the flight, we're on the flight, we just made it. I was like, thank God, thank God. Um, you really become your parents' parents when you get to a certain age. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, they, they made it on the flight, and later I asked them, I was like, so did, did you run? Them? No, no, we didn't run. And... <laughs> It's just classic of my dad. He, uh, yeah, he's always in the present. He's never, he's never rushing or thinking very far in the future. But yeah, I think, yeah, they made it. So. <laughs> hey, a round applause for Mum. Something so very zen about the way your dad seems to interact with the world. Just sort of like, just drifting along, along the world, and do you know what? I get there when I get there. Something about it, I can see from the outside it being frustrating as all damn, but I can kind of imagine being him is quite nice. Like, do you know what? If I miss a flow, I miss a flow. If I miss that thing, I miss that thing. It wasn't meant to be. Yeah. Something about it is so zen, and I love it. But it sounds really frustrating for you. Because <laughs> you're there, like, come on, guys. You can do it! <laughs> Get on the flight! Run! <laughs> um, I'm, glad they made, I'm glad they made a flight. And uh, I'm, I think £20 is probably, yeah, like a fine price to pay <laughs> for getting on the flight. I can't believe £5 each time, that's so silly. Um, round applause for Mubs, that was wonderful. <laughs> when I was eight, my wine-fuelled dad and uncle decided that instead of Christmas cake, I would receive a pile of Brussels sprouts with a lit candle. I cried. And at 36, it's still brought up every Christmas. Yeah, you remember that time? Remember that time? I was really mean. That was hilarious. Remember that time I like, didn't give you a cake? I just gave you Brussels sprouts, the famously uh, terrible food? <laughs> I feel like it's so mean. Why are parents so mean? I want another one of these. Give me more. Also, I feel like the two unofficial themes of today are birds and dads. <laughs> I may mess some words out of this one. On the way to a family holiday in Italy, our airline managed to send our luggage to Spain instead. After waiting over two hours in baggage reclaim without any seating, I decided to sit on the edge of a stationary luggage belt. <laughs> 30 seconds later, the belt suddenly started moving, catching my, my shorts and ripping them down. All down the back, meaning I had to spend the next two days with my underwear hanging out, my shorts, whilst waited for a luggage to arrive. <laughs> That's just a comedy of errors. Just like, you didn't have any clothes, so you just... Uh, drum roll, please. Amy! Woo! There are no other ones Amy's story. One more, I'll have Amy down on the stage. My dad has a habit of buying my mum unique 
presents. One year, he called me and my sister to his car, all excited to show us what he had got her for Christmas. He opened the boot, and there was a harp in the back. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm down for a harp. He said she was always wanting to learn to play. Great. She hadn't. <laughs> she always wanted to learn to play the saxophone. <laughs> a swing and a miss. <laughs> you still have the harp. It's huge. <laughs> it's never been played. Wow, guys. <laughs> oh, the thought was there. The thought was there. Just not the brains. Um, right, round of applause. Welcome to the stage. Amy. Ah, there we are. Hi. Um, this story is about a squirrel, which is uh, <laughs> Scarlet's fault. Um, yeah. Um, me and my daughter were driving from uh, Nailsey back to home in Rington, and um, on the other side of the road, it was a main road. There was a squirrel um, that, bless it, had been knocked over and um, was kind of half alive and half dead like his back half was dead but his front half was alive and um yeah my daughter who loves animals was like oh my god mum we've got to save the squirrel and I was thinking but we just have not got time I had to get home and it was really stressful and um yeah so I I didn't know what to do so I was driving the car and she's like mum we've got to save that squirrel so I thought well we we drove past the vets and I thought I'll phone the vets and see what the vet says. And, uh, yeah, so I phoned the vets and they said, um, oh, sorry, but we just don't, um, you know, we don't, we don't get animals. If you can bring the squirrel here, then we can, we can save the squirrel. So I was like, I haven't got anything to pick it up with. I just really don't feel I can um, save the squirrel. I can't pick it up and it might bite me and... I'm in a hurry, I didn't need to get home, and, you know, I just could not, like, think that I could save this girl, but, um, so they gave me another number of someone else, and so I phoned the next number, and I'm driving the car, so it's all on the hands-free, so, you know, the, the, um, my daughter's hearing all of this, she's 16, she hears all of this, and she's looking at me with these big sad eyes, and, um, so I phoned the next place, and they said the same, they said, you know, we can we can, you know, like, help the squirrel, but you need to get the squirrel to us. And I was like, I can't, I haven't got time. I'm driving the car and just thinking, I just have not got the time. Um, so, uh, they, so they said, well, okay, we can't, we can't come and get it, but if you can get it to us, and I said, I can't. And they said, okay, here's another number. So the next number, so by this time, we got quite away from, away from the squirrel. And... Um, the next number I called, they answered the phone, and it was a squirrel hotline. <laughs> Who knew there was such a thing as a squirrel hotline? Um, so I spoke to the guy, and it's all on the hands-free, and I said, look, this is squirrel. It nails you by this time. I was really kind of fed up of this whole thing. Um, and, um, yeah, so I said, you know, this is squirrel, and he's, I don't know if he's, you know, he's been knocked over... And he said, look, we can come and get it, but we can't come for another hour, so please, can you bring this squirrel to us? Because it would, you know, be... And I said, I, look, I can't. I'm nearly home. I just can't. I've got an appointment. I can't do it. And he said, OK, well, the thing is, that squirrel 
may have baby squirrels <laughs> that may be, you know, <laughs> they need their mum squirrel. Yeah. And I was like, Right. <laughs> in the car going, I can't believe you said this to me. I'm ripping my heart out. <laughs> and my daughter's looking at me like, baby squirrels! <laughs> so I just said, OK, I'll turn the car back round. And I knew, you know when you say yes, but you need no. Yeah. And I turned the car back round and I just said to my daughter, you know that this squirrel is probably going to be dead, so just prepare yourself. For that and uh, she went okay but it'll be fine so we drove back and the squirrel was dead that's really sad but um so we drove back round and so we phoned the guy back and said that you know we've tried i've gone back <laughs> um and um but the squirrel's dead so i'm going home now because i've got things to do and he just said, okay, well, um, okay, well, you, you tried your best. It didn't sound convincing, you tried your best, I guess. Um, and then, so I said, yeah, he's dead. And then my daughter went, I don't think he's dead. And I was just like, do you know what? You can deal with the squirrel. I'm done with this. And uh, yeah, he was dead. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Round of applause for Amy. Well done for going back and checking on the squirrel. You know, we all knew where I was going. You don't look back for the squirrel. You've got your daughter, big puppy dog eyes, worrying about the squirrel. And yeah, I'm sorry to hear that the squirrel was dead. It sounds like even maybe even if you hadn't got had got onto the squirrel, like Squirrel's been hit by cars and stuff, like, their little insides are all messed up. Like, <laughs> I, I'm sorry that that will happen, but, but thank you for checking on the squirrel. Um, <laughs> that, check on squirrels. Be nice to the animals around us. Thank you so much, Amy. <laughs> One time I was sitting on the sofa watching a film when my dog ran into the room, looking delighted with himself. The tail, the full, oh, with a full Terry's chocolate orange in his mouth, <laughs> which he then dropped on my lap. I asked no questions. <laughs> what a sweet gift, I thought. Was <laughs> it? <laughs> and next storyteller is going to be. Sorry, drum roll, please. Oh my god. It's going to be Bex. Woo! Um, Vex is looking forward to it. Right, one minute. We're going to have one more one line story. Uh, from the top? Yeah. I can't get up there, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Let's have this one. This one is from our breakfast event. I remember being in Miami. Miami on the plane. It was morning, no one was about. Felt amazing. What? I missed something out. I remember being in Miami, around, on the plane. It was morning, no one was about. It felt amazing. Being on my own in a foreign country. <laughs> eating coffee and a croissant. 
<laughs> they have very nice coffee and croissant, that's what I got out of that. In Miami, apparently. Fabulous. Um, right. <laughs> uh, welcome to stage. Big round of applause for Bex. So two weeks ago, I thought it was Story Slam. And uh, so I uh, prepared a, uh, a little story. I uh, just wrote down what I thought I had on my mind at the time, and it turned into this experience that I thought, oh, yeah, actually, actually, you know, I could share that. So then I got on my bike, and I was, like, uh, ready to go, and I was like, yeah, yeah, let's get down to Story Slam and, and uh, tell my story. Um, and then I thought, oh, you know what, I'll just check if it's on. And, uh, yeah. and then uh, I realised it was today. So... <laughs> And here I am. Um, but I did write it, and uh, I love how everybody is so free of like reading things and stuff. So uh, I'm just going to read this and see how that goes down. You know. um, anyway, we didn't know how long we had left. The frantic fury and hurry of people buy panic buying, building towers of beans and soup tins. Too few toilet rolls to go around. I heard, drinking neat apple cider vinegar will keep the infection away. <laughs> Someone tweeted, close your windows tonight. A helicopter is going to spray the city with disinfectant. <laughs> I thought, did I walk into my studio? Did I walk it in on my shoes? As a self-employed singing teacher, I had to get the last lessons in while I could, not knowing where the next money would come from. My friend and I had made a promise nine months earlier, to get together for a long creative art music jam and to record a song that I'd written about self-love. There seemed like no other time to do it but now, after the announcement that the world was about to grind to a halt. We no longer cared about making money. Our attention turned like the flip of a switch to making art. But the problem was, in two days' time, my friend had booked a, uh, a retreat in a monastery in the Pyrenees. And the borders were about to close. This is exactly what happened. Time was limited. What followed next was 48 hours of music-making mayhem. Cellos and double basses thrown across the room. Synths and electro beats. Pianos, harps and our voices. Free to improvise and create, following, flowing from our intention. Fueled by the madness of current events. My studio, my place became a fortress, bolted shut so no one could get in. I mean, what if people became zombies or tried looting the place, thinking no one was in? We recorded a lot of music. And a special bond is formed when you know, such a deep, cathartic, meditative healing process as this. Creating art together is, is, a, is a very, uh, yeah, spiritual thing. And then the subsequent rush to get them out of the country, across the border to France, while the world froze in its coping strategy, reminded me of a scene from War of the Worlds. I knew Jeff Wayne's musical since being a, a kid, and I found it the scariest thing. Now here's the seamless link. My dad would put on, whenever I'd been mean or bad, or whenever I was bad at Christmas time, he would play the record of War of the Worlds. 
I would run to my room. I would literally hide under the bed sheets. Luckily, there were no farts coming up under the duvet. But, um, but yeah, I would, I, would, I would dread hearing that sound. I don't know if anyone... Does anyone know that? Yeah. Yeah. Do, you do, do you know it? There was like the, the Martians would go, Ooh, la! Shit, as a seven-year-old, I was uh, petrified. Um, I literally thought I'd see a giant Martian robot outside the window, with green eyes staring at me through the curtains. The scene I recalled that day from War of the Worlds was where the protagonist tries to find his beloved Carrie and get to her just in time to see her leaving on the boat. The escape boat separating them forever in the last second. And for me, it was a bit like I just found my creative muse not having made music for such a long time, and then just in time for the world to end. All this music, the irony, oh, the irony of it, the contradiction, bonding with a, a, another loving human being, and while they're there in front of you, and then of course, as if by fate, they're just taken away. And yeah, no more live music, no more, no more sharing, everything, everything stopped. What I learned was the muse was always there, but with the distractions and procrastination and focus on, on work, it sometimes takes a pandemic to get it out of you. My friend made it to the Pyrenees. The next day the borders were closed and we didn't know if they would open again. And then came peace isolation and loneliness, in stark contrast to those days before. And I wrote and recorded a lot in that first month, and had uh, also grown a new strong but distant friendship through the process. And I wrote a song uh, called Falling in Love at the End of the World. What I really learned from that though is that you can do so much in just such a short amount of time and sometimes it takes that like fire to light underneath you, and then of course it can take. Sometimes it can take forever to uh, to to release that and share it with the world. So uh, yeah, that's my story. Thank you. Ah, Beck, you're lucky. It's the end of your event, and we're all feeling in a good mood. Because normally breaking rules like that. Rubbish tackle. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, it was fantastic. Um, I felt like that was intense. It sounds like you had like an intense music making experience. And I feel like there was stories like that, like that happening like across the country, or across the world during COVID. Like these mad, desperate rushes to do the thing or to get to a place before everything gets locked down. Um, I, I'm happy to hear that you're able to like fit in like this, this like, genre-defining art session in the middle of all of that. We're happy to hear that. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. For the I think I was playing Doom. That's what I was doing. <laughs> the new Doom was out. I knew the country was locking down. I was like, I'm staying on the sofa. <laughs> right, true short story on a theme of presence. I didn't believe in Santa from... When I was four years old, my parents would not accept this. They were always trying to trick me, brackets, for years. <laughs> Reindeer hoof marks in the snow, cold dust foot boot prints on the hearth. So in return, I was out to cash them out. 
You sound great. One year I asked for a Pocahontas rainbow bike, thinking it would be impossible. They um, got an adult second-hand rainbow bike. I was seven or eight, it was way too big. And stuck Pocahontas stickers on it. Another year, yeah, oh. Yeah, parents working hard for your love. How could they? I wrote two letters to Santa, showed them the one with reasonable things on it, and didn't show them the other one. Fuck <laughs> oh, you, evil genius. <laughs> um, with a computer on it. No, I, no, nothing else. <laughs> nothing else. Presumably, they were caught. We can finish the story together. Uh, presumably, I did not get a computer. <laughs> Um, and you prove what for all sound isn't real. Yay! <laughs> that was wonderful. Got an excellent skeptical mind, despite your parents trying to make you believe things that aren't true. You're like, no, I know. Fantastic, I love it. Guys, can we have a big round of applause, not just for storytellers today, but for the storytellers for the whole year? Big round of applause. pleasure to be able to play host to your stories throughout the year and hopefully for many more years to come so thank you so much so much for all your stories you guys you know this you guys are like make story slam without the story without your guys generosity without your stories without you living living interesting fascinating lives it's only possible so i feel very lucky to be a part of it and to always hear such amazing stories from all of you thank you so much um we are here every every month this third Sunday every month, so um, come and join us next year. Uh, we are on Instagram, Story Slam Bristol. We are on Facebook, Story Slam. Uh, we are on anything else? We have a website, storyslam.co.uk. Um, before we go, um, take whatever food you want. That's completely fine. Take any crackers and stuff that you want. Um, if you can take your cups with you, we'd really appreciate it. Um, literally tomorrow, we are hosting. We are helping host another event in this space tomorrow in conjunction with. Uh, Bristol Tonic and Milk Poetry. Is that right? Am I right, Emma? Yeah, um, and it is an event of poetry and storytelling and uh, all sorts of lovely things, all in aid uh, for the Pakistan flood appeal. Uh, Pakistan's recently been hit by horrendous floods. The humanitarian crisis in the country is dire. So all the proceeds of that event tomorrow are going towards uh, that charity appeal. So um, look us up on the internet. We've got it on our website uh, and come tomorrow as well. If you can't get enough of storytelling, uh, myself and a few other Storytime people and some Storytime regulars will be there, I know. And so come join us then. Um, but otherwise... Um, I think that's it for the year. I've been James Williams, have, and I hope you have a lovely Christmas, a lovely New Year. See you in 2023, and give yourselves and all the helpers a big round of applause. And <laughs> And there we have it. What another excellent collection of stories. Once again, Happy New Year to you all, and thank you so much for listening. You can find more information about us on our website at storyslam.co.uk, and all the other links, everything I've mentioned today will be in the podcast description. So have a look there if you're interested. But until next time, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure, and we'll see you all again in 2023. See you, everyone.